Welcome, everyone, to the Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Peter. Hello, Peter. What I say about using my government name, Matthew? You really need a security system. Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 112, Soliloquy of Chaos, is brought to you by the legal offices of Law and Yur. First name Law, last name Yur. You need me to spell it. Pete, here we are in the home stretch of the Luke Cage podcast. We have this episode dropping today, uh, episode 113, the season finale, not far behind it, a season wrap-up, uh, not not uh, too far away after that. Definitely want to thank people who have been with us this long, continuing to podcast, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., of course, and uh, the old Star Trek feed will be heating up, so whether you listen to us on the Pop Culture Podcast feed or if you want to check out more information by searching iTunes for Fantastic Geek or visiting FantasticGeek.com, it's a great time to be geeking out. The Lowdown, where we review what's going on in the episode. Pete, where do we start? Right outside Harlem's Paradise, Matt. Uh, they are triple cuffing luke cage because that's gonna make a difference they're shackling him as well pete i like that they they don't overplay the statement here they just let the statement be this notion of a black man chained shackled it it stands on its own as this as this this uh i don't know statement against race racism etc particularly since we know luke cage is not guilty and uh, we have Misty, who uh, still in pain there, ready to be loaded into the ambulance. Uh, Ms. Knight, it's detective, and she's fine, Matt, gets up and she goes over. And we do the old thing where we're going to tell Luke Cage off, but also tip him off. Tough talk with code in it. Every officer on his detail has Judas bullets, so he better not try anything before they get to the precinct. This is the same ESU, by the way, that uh, noted they are cleared to light him up if he does anything wrong. And uh, Pete, with that, the detail takes off three vehicles there, particularly nice shot of the road as they go by. And uh, Pete, the two cops are just workaday cops. They're talking about, is this end of days or is this just, to quote Patrick Stewart, evolution? There's the uh, smack talk, too. Some salty smack talks uh, going on between these two cops. Some uh, some some wife jokes. Some, there's a daughter joke. Um, and uh, the, the one cop will be seen again. Pete, no story effort wasted here in this scene. Yes, we kind of get the the jovial banter between uh, lowly uh, lowly police officers, uh, not high up on the the totem pole here, driving the fugitive, wondering why it's them and not ESU. But uh, that, of course, is just just a little get to know you stuff. So we're a little bit more sympathetic for for one of these gentlemen as the story unfolds. And uh, speaking of the lowly Matt, it is a homeless woman out in front of the police convoy that provides cage with the cover that he can escape 
slightly hand of the writer, but you know what? We got to get things moving anyway. That's fine. If it wasn't the homeless lady, it would have been a red light or it would have been, hey, no, you're supposed to be turning. What are you doing? You know, so fine. You want to make it a homeless lady, writers? I got no beef with that. Uh, the cuffs, of course, were just for show anyway. And uh, he runs away from the cops, runs away from them shooting at him. He makes his way to an alley and uh, finally is cornered by that officer of color, Officer Plonsky, uh, who had been been uh, been driving the meat wagon that had him there. Young cops run after a suspect. Officer Plonsky likes to go where they'll end up. The police officer says a cop killer never lasts long out there, but some would call Luke a hero. It turns out Plonsky used to visit Pops every week. There are plenty of people rooting for him. And Pete, a wonderful small detail here. If you don't exactly know whether you should trust Plonsky or not, he has uh, on, his, uh, on his uniform there uh, a, a bar noting that he is a veteran of uh, service at the World Trade Center on 9-11. Uh, I like that they don't call attention to it, in part because that probably would be slightly inappropriate to kind of be like, I was there on the 9-11, so you can trust me, but the bar is there. I looked it up online, and just adding to the trustworthiness, the, the, the credulity of Officer Polsky, who Pete just couldn't catch him. He's getting old, and uh, Luke Cage just is somehow going to run off. It's a great catch about the 9-11 uh, service tag there and and yeah had had they called it out it would have been over the top with that sure enough off luke cage goes couldn't be caught his hood up pete defiant ready to go find the evil cut to the title card which reveals among other things that this episode is directed by phil abraham veteran of mad men veteran of four episodes of daredevil the first two episodes of each season of that show and uh one of the people had his hands on that famous hallway fight and i think that's a real reason why an hour two minute episode moves at the pace that it does it also helps pete that there are moments of exposition like breaking expositional news with tembi reporting the latest on luke cage um which so we get that we also get diamondback talking to pete is that turk barrett monday friday or turk Barrett is back, Matt. Uh, and he calls uh, Diamondback by his first name and doesn't get the business for it as they are talking business. He, Diamondback, is ready to have Turk help out and sell while Diamondback stays in the shadows. But is Turk going to keep his hands off Diamondback's money? He overstands. Not to do anything so foolish, Pete. I love having Turk Barrett in these episodes. Just make him a regular. Put him in every episode. Yes. I want to see scenes of, uh, of, of Turk Barrett with every character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I want to see uh, scenes with him and uh, the Punisher. I want to see scenes with him. And I've already said I want to see scenes with him and Sigourney Weaver. Uh, his character is Barrett. She's played a Barrett. Make it happen. Fitz Barrett. Now that could be a pairing for a, a, an Agents of Shield spinoff, Abs like workplace comedy. Him and the Ghost Rider. Come on, man. 
It writes itself, Pete. It, it writes does itself. write itself. Can't you just see him kind of lackadaisically being like him and Colson? Yes. Colson being like, listen, Turk, you know, I know I called you the one time, but you know, I need some info. And he being like, listen, Colson, chill yourself. Did any one of those fingers have a lighter on them? He takes out <laughs> his cigar and he's like, let's chill and talk about this. Anyhow, Pete, at this point. Back, back, back in the other show. There's the show we're making, the Turk Barrett Adventures. Um, maybe the many adventures of Turk Barrett. Well, title TBD. Back in Luke Cage, Zip comes in, says that Diamondback's files are gone. He's wearing the shades from Shades. He's told to take them off, and that's Pete. It's not his name, man. His name's oh. Zip. He should have zipped up his coat. That's what he does. He's <laughs> not Shades. He also gets choked out by Diamondback yeah. <laughs> um, and then gets let go. It's just a joke, of course. Wink, wink, but a reminder that one should not outshine the master. He's got to be like Icarus, you know, the one that had verses with Kendrick. <laughs> it's great. Um, of course, Turk Barrett, being a well-read man, understands who Icarus was from Greek mythology, having flown to course too close to the sun there's these two looks of recognition that come across um rob morgan's face as he's delivering these lines when he looks at diamondback after he uh he chokes him out and then uh diamondback turns away laughing and turk looks down and just a smile falls off of his face the, i mean truly i obviously we have a soft spot for the character a soft spot for the actor this is a classic example of something that we talk about from time to time, which is making the most of your scene. The Turk Barrett character, it's kind of more, it, it's more um, uh, fan service to have him popping up and down than it is actual kind of story service. It could be any other guy who, who's, who's going here. The fact that Rob Morgan comes in and makes this scene his own, where he re you really believe that he's there just to do business He's, he's come uptown to help sell the product, but to not get involved in the deeper drama that's going on. And he's standing his ground. He's knowing when to kind of give deference, when to kind of stand up and say, some of this isn't for me. Rob Morgan is making this character beloved. Yeah. And uh, with Zip explaining that Shades is in custody, that uh, they find out he's going to be bailed out. And... Uh, Diamondback laying it all there out, but doesn't want the questioning because that's how it all starts, Matt. Even Turk knows that. Zip has some choice words once Turk is gone and uh, Zip returns to Diamondback, to Diamondback. What's in the box? Not, fun fact, Pete, not a head, but one of the seven deadly sins meant for Carl. Wrath. The wrath of Diamondback. <laughs> oh man pete exciting stuff here with that pete take us to domingo to domingo we go his crew saying that uh, they need to be careful domingo's conclusion with drugs cash and guns uh they can be running the whole thing here he's ready to fight ready to go get diamond back and pete i couldn't help but uh get a little off off plot here just to note that uh, Domingo is wearing a super impressive coat. It almost looks like snakeskin. It's it's just 
you know, as a costume person, you don't want that to be outshining the narrative. But this was a moment where it was like, time to lower my shades and go, dang, <laughs> that is an impressive coat there, Mr. Mr. Domingo, sir. It's the rare scene where uh, he's eating, but he's not uh, putting the uh, pieces of what he's eating on the floor. <laughs> he's got a drink there. Um, and they're they're talking about the timing of challenging for the control that Diamondback had uh, really kind of squirreled away. The story moves on to the police station where Shades, a.k.a. Hernan Alvarez, is booked. Mitzi, uh, Misty is watching the booking. She's there, which is surprising. Priscilla tells her that she should be home recuperating, but Misty wants to find Luke innocent. And if Pete, next line, classic cop line here. If he's innocent, why is he running, asks Priscilla. And great answer, timely answer. He's a black man being chased by cops with special bullets, and he is accused of being a cop killer. No wonder he's running. I mean, this is 2015-16 in a nutshell. Uh, to to get to, pardon the, the pun, the bullet of... The problem is that, uh, you know, and, and we, we reference it later throughout this episode with the public reaction and, and really kind of the, <clears throat> the, the getting behind Luke on the streets. Even these cops understand what he's up against. Meanwhile, Priscilla sees that Shades is relaxed. He knows he's not going anywhere, so he's resting up. Uh, that is contrasted by sugar whose foot is bouncing up and down from nervousness priscilla says sugar is innocent or maybe a lot less guilty the only problem is that luke is being targeted by the police given that he's on the run the mayor's office has given the okay to shoot on site and uh we're intercut with evidence of that a crew of cops leaving out to turn the streets over looking for luke back to priscilla who says that she is going to interview shades shades who can't hear them smiles at them anyway pete that theo rossi shining here at the uh pretty much demolished harlem's paradise uh mariah is there with alex and matt there's a great use of the shattered mirror here to distort the image of mariah um she talks about mama mabel and uh, what she had done to, to build Harlem's Paradise. Now her family's in tatters, and it's all because of Diamondback. Before director Phil Abraham was a TV director, he was a longtime cinematographer uh, in television, uh, going all the way back to uh, uh, a lot of work, a lot, a lot of work on The Sopranos, and uh, won an Emmy for his camera work in the, uh, for the uh, pilot of Mad Men. So no surprise here that this this guy who, you know, is just perhaps the greatest uh, director, full-time director on television today, the fact that they're using that, that mirror to the point where the cracks are not obvious at first and something looks amiss and kind of there's a slow reveal here. It's absolutely amazing. And uh, she's also trying to get out ahead of the Damon Boone sentiment. We're going to release a statement how much she respected him. Sure, she did. Um, but uh, Alex, he doesn't have 
lectures. He comes, Matt, bearing ideas. Yes, Alex notes that these are just things. Things can be rebuilt. When Harlem's Paradise is rebuilt, it can be done in her image. He wants to be a part of this rebuilding. He wants to be of service when it comes to silencing these witnesses who can connect Mariah to Diamondback. And she stresses nothing untoward with implied wink, wink. Go be, go be the guy behind the, behind the gal, Alex. With that, we cut to Luke Cage walking the streets, ducking the police, noticing that uh, two robbers are about to hit a store. Pete, that poster, what is that poster there? The one that's telling us to, 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 to take care of our, of our police officers? Who is that? Well, Matt, that would be none other than uh, Stan Lee, dressed as a police officer with a visible badge, where it says, see a crime, report it. Right above nightclub party, DJ. <laughs> uh, Luke doesn't have time for this, but he goes in after the two robbers anyway. Hey, Pete, that's Method Man in the bodega. Do you know the Method Man, Matt? The Method Man? The Method Man. I do know the Method Man. Who was uh, in this bodega <laughs> with his hands up. Indeed. Uh, Michael and Bryce are the ones robbing the, the joint here. Worst government... Uh, names of robbers ever wow uh they get knocked out pretty quickly by luke um particularly after uh after the second gentleman tries to uh empty his gun into luke and it's like oh i didn't mean that i didn't mean to pull the trigger a bunch of times <laughs> um the big takeaway here luke places a call saying that uh he's gonna stay in the cut and see the other person soon and uh then he trades uh hoodies with meth you know as one does, Pete. Well, what's interesting here, the, the Robin Hood aspect goes up a notch in light of our real world goings on. Here's a, a bullet riddled hoodie that uh, Method Man now takes something of a souvenir. He's an admirer of Luke Cage. Luke Cage is a admirer of him. He tells him how... Uh, PLO style, Matt, was his joint back in the day, just like you. The scene caps off uh, fantastically. It's a strange world, but you know what, says the bodega owner? Harlem, baby. Back we go to the police station where uh, Candace calls for Misty uh, from a prepaid cell phone, no less. She from wants to CVS, man. Like name checking co corporate uh, synergy and, and product placement and everything, Matt. Like, come on, you can't. You couldn't have just said the drugstore. Or I mean, I, to me, I, I know there are CVSs in New York, but I feel like Dwayne Reed is. CVI is the plural, but anyway. <laughs> um, now, if she had if she had got it from B and H, then that would have been something because you know, Pete, you got to go to B and H. Well, listen, till their check clears, I'm not reading their uh, their uh, their words, Matt. Fair enough. Um, she wants to see Misty, Candace does, but not at the precinct. Mariah would find out. Candace is offering up the truth and wants to meet. Where will they meet? Pete, Misty walks off because we need suspense. We do. And in the cooler there, Matt, in the interrogation room, um... This scene is borderline 
plagiarists. Plagiarists? How so? Well, I'm going to take you to another great show on right now, one that Matthew doesn't watch. I'm frequently taken to task for, for you know, shows I'm supposed to watch. There's a little show on AMC. It's a prequel to another little show on AMC. Breaking Bad was the original. The, the prequel is Better Call Saul. And in its first season, there was a scene where Mike Ehrmantraut, okay, played by the uh, wonderful Jonathan Banks, is being interrogated and continues to respond to questions with one word, lawyer. Well, be that as it may, I'll let you, I'll let you take it up with, uh, with the writer of this episode or, or showrunner Chio Hadari Coker. Shades indeed does want a lawyer, um, though his past and his current crimes are, are laid bare by Priscilla here. The idea that he's not going to walk away from this, this getting 25 years to life, it breaks him down. He knows who did it. Theo Rossi is wonderful, overacting <laughs> slightly, but not so much that Priscilla can follow along. It really is a fine, it's a fine line where the audience is in on it, but she isn't. Then he says that at the club, there was a man, his name was Lawyer. Pete, will you get this man a lawyer? Well, after we go to uh, just outside the Washington Bridge, Matt. Indeed, we're sitting by the river. Candace is meeting Misty in plain sight. Sometimes that's the best way to hide. What is it that uh, she needs to say that's so important? She says that she was there right after Cottonmouth was killed, and she admits on the record, or at least on the iPhone voice memo app, that Mariah killed Cottonmouth, uh, that the lie of Luke Cage must run parallel to the truth, that Shades beat the body and paid her $50,000 to tell the story. Peachy's coming clean now because she can't keep the lie. We saw the cracks before, and it was only a matter of time here. Uh, she seems to have picked up that uh, Mariah intends to harm her. Um, so it's a uh, gambit that she's got to take here. And uh, Misty uh, is, is all too happy to, to bring her in from the cold. The recording ends and Candace adds that Mariah scares her more than Cottonmouth and that Mariah would kill her if she knew she was talking to Misty. Misty takes away Candace's phone and uh, is going to take her to Claire's mother's place. But Pete, they're being watched. By Alex. With that, Pete, we move to the Fantastic Geek recording studio, which here is doubling as a radio studio uh, for Sway and company uh method man is telling hb about the robbery sway doesn't believe him either say word hb asks uh why luke cage is running because being bulletproof is second to being black says method man the commentary here would seem over the top if matt if there weren't authentic these are not characters these are people they're playing themselves on a TV show, um, a fictional TV show that in some way mirrors the world we currently live in. And Pete, this is part of the, the authenticity and part of the commentary that the show is introducing here. Having these three characters, 
dancing on that edge between the fiction of Luke Cage and the reality of the world that 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 they experience and the reality that the the show is trying to discuss amidst superpowers and and things of that sort and uh it, it's 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 a welcome it's a welcome intersection here i mean and other than stunting on guys from jurors wait a minute where from jurors too that's not nice but pete i know this as far as method man is concerned luke cage saved his life method man adds that there's something powerful about seeing a black man who is bulletproof and unafraid and with that, he starts to spit some rhymes while uh, police intercut here. Police see a man in a gray ripped hoodie. Guns out. They turn him around. It's just a black man with a shaved head and a smile, Pete. One we've seen before, Matt. That's Officer Plonsky, Matt. Ah, it's all connected. An all... African-American officer off duty in a, a bullet riddled hoodie drawn down on by two on-duty police officers. Mm. Intercut with all this is Gomez selling, that's the uh, bodega owner, selling ripped hoodies while Method Man continues to talk about having a hero for hire and he's a black one. Yeah, it's it's authentic. Again, anytime you can get Method Man involved, okay, heads nodding, people, you know, dapping, on the uh, on the streets there in their bulletproof hoodies, Trayvon Martin name checked in the rhyme. Okay, Matt, because this is bulletproof love. We see other men on the street as this montage continues, presumably strangers wearing the holy hoodies, respecting the message that the hoodies represent, and pointing laughingly at the police cruiser that goes by. And uh, Method Man wraps up his raps on Sway's universe, and we cut to Tembi reporting on what we just saw. The holy hero. Back to Sway taking phone calls. Uh, a citizen thinks that we're not getting the whole story on Luke Cage. Agree, bring on season two. And uh, hearing this, we cut to the barbershop where Bobby Fish is. He switches over to some blues just in time for those same four police officers from the precinct to check in with him, guns drawn. He's not here, man. There is, however, before he turns the radio, and I have to say it wasn't in uh, Fish's character to be listening to Sway's universe, uh, but on the TV, on the flat screen in Pops, as uh, Fish gets up, uh, Tembi has uh, Priscilla Ridley on TV. It is a small world, Pete, and uh, off the cops go. By the way, though they are best represented by middle-aged Caucasian cop, there's diversity in the bunch there, which is, uh, I think, in line with the the notion that some of these police tensions are police versus community, not not fundamentally white versus black. But I digress. They get into their car. Off they drive. A long shot here. And it turns out that Luke has been watching from across the street. And there's a, there's a lengthy shot inside the store of Bobby Fish looking out the window as uh, saunter uh, as Luke saunters on in through the back. Bobby says it was a close shave and wonders why Luke hasn't just left town and never turned back. If he was bulletproof, he'd do that and maybe rob a couple banks occasionally. Luke says that he wants to box in all the pieces. 
And Bobby recounts the situation using the chessboard as a visual metaphor, Pete. Just in case you haven't seen that before on a TV show or a movie. Shades in jail. Mariah not on his side. What about Misty? And then, of course, there is one other option to use someone else to find Diamondback. Pete, who could that be in this a whole... A pawn, th- Matt? Turk Barrett. Bobby calls Turk with the promise of having 30 pairs of vintage Jordans, Pete. Why don't you come on by? The people's pawn, Matt, Turk Barrett. At the police station, there's a uh, dialogueless blonde woman. Perhaps, Pete, she's mute. I don't know. Perhaps she just had her lines cut for time. I don't know. But uh, her first name is Law and last name is Yur. Shades is sprung and tells Misty that he does not, in fact, have all the answers. And Pete, that is about to be <laughs> very uh, made very clear to him. Uh, he meets up with Zip at a warehouse, tells Zip to never question his loyalty as they ascend up the freight elevator to see the man upstairs. And uh, Zip notes that he's full of questions. And then, Pete, things take a slight turn. Yeah, I was kind of surprised Shades would allow uh, Zip to get behind him. Um, we don't really believe for a moment that this would be the end of uh, Shades. And uh, once they're up there on the roof, the uh, the attempted strangling out of the way here, um, Shades attempts to get what it is he needs. Pete, it turns out that he needs, get this, his gun, which he uses to take out the two goons that were standing by placidly a moment ago. Um, and then with that, he is gleefully eager to go to the penthouse. And uh, the trip ends up with a little triumphant ding in the musical score uh, as the, the elevator portion of the scene concludes. On the top floor, Zip says he was just following orders. He, he's not going to say more. Although after two hits from the gun butt, uh, Shades is ready to fess up and say this all comes from Diamondback. And uh, tells Zip, too, that he's a, a puppet, that he's just doing what he's told to be. Uh, the second time in this episode, Matt, where somebody tells uh, Zip that Romeo would have been ashamed of him, that he would have been a disappointment. Zip says, nah, he's his own man. One shot later, he's a dead man. A dead man with a pair of shades in his coat, which go back two shades, if you can imagine that, Pete. Shades with the shades. Back we go to Mariah's townhouse, where Alex updates her about Candace being with Detective Knight. Alex leaves, and Mariah takes a call from Diamondback, who reminds her that they're business partners. She's told that Shades is dead, and this is her chance to grow. That plus, there's some discussion about Boone's death. And uh, surprisingly, she says she's out of politics, and that, that threw me for a bit of a loop. But she says she wants to make Harlem's Paradise a center for community relations. But Pete, about to come is a really great reason why you don't talk murder over an open line. Yeah, Matt, in comes the diamond back here who has to explain to her that uh, she pretty much just indicted herself over the phone. Uh, I love how he just appears there, by the way. Um, it's, it's so in line with the character. But bottom line is that he hands her a duffel bag of cash to seed the new Harlem Renaissance project. 
He just wants to buy loyalty so they can grow together as Harlem builds in her image. It's now the second time the notion of uh, things being rebuilt in her image is mentioned. Bottom line is Diamondback promises to dispense of Carl then evaporate, though his cool breeze will return from time to time. And with that, Pete, he leaves and we cut to the joyous visage of who, Pete? Well, Matt, that would be none other than Hell's Kitchen's own Turk Barrett. Pete, he's just walking happily down the street. Then he's pulled by Luke, who who uh, seems that he can't scare Turk Barrett. I mean, Turk Barrett's seen things. Um, until Luke picks him up, he starts screaming like a child. He's then put in a dumpster. Luke starts to crush it. The screams are humorous, as is the idea of Luke just leaving him in the dumpster until tomorrow's uh, trash pickup. There's Even food if- in there. Oh, which was gross, especially when you <laughs> hit the next line. Even if there's baby diapers in here, man. Nice. Meanwhile, at a seedy location where Domingo and his goons are, Diamondback is reading from the highlighted Bible. Domingo notes that the location is a downgrade, although Diamondback says he's a man who likes his space. Domingo pulls his guns and Diamondback's unseen goons are suddenly seen and they have guns too. Uh, Diamondback notes that a rattlesnake is at its most dangerous Pete when it's cornered. Yeah, there's military grade uh, crates all over the place here. So, you know, there's some uh, high power hardware, Matt. The fight that breaks out, it's zippy and energetic. Um, Unsurprisingly, the nameless guys take all the initial bullets. Uh, Diamondback makes his way out of the main warehouse area, getting to that crate. It now emits a red light. Pete, is this is this Quentin Tarantino? What's going on here? Diamondback quotes the Bible, though, talking of the rider named Death. Pete, are we talking Ghost Rider here? No, no Ghost Rider. Just uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse before we transition back to perhaps the horsewoman throwing back some drinks over a pile of cash. Ooh, some Belvedere vodka, fancy. Uh, and Pete, she opens up the box that, Pete, is that the gun that what killed Uncle Pete? It is. And <sighs> it, you would still have that and, and amidst the tastefully appointed brownstone of uh, Mariah Dillard here, um, that there's this fancy box with, a pearl handle revolver in it. Yeah, slightly incongruous. I guess uh, President Matthew Ellis did not take all the guns away. Regardless, Shades sneaks in, noting that she needs a security system and that, uh, oh yeah, he's not dead. And it's interesting, he's kind of half talking down to her, saying that her holding a gun isn't herself. I don't approve of how manipulatively... And, and borderline condescendingly, Shades speaks to her. But I love that the story is having him do it. I love, love, love. He's done love. it before. Yeah. And there's a, there's, a, there's a sexual vibe to it as well. Pete, the air is thick with electricity of some sort or another. But Pete, he's got something for her. The murder weapon that killed Cornell. Her prince, his blood. And uh, Shades is handing it over because they're in it together now. And she talks about reaching across the aisle. And he says, the enemy of his enemy is my friend. So are they going to team up or not, Pete? 
it's a smart scene here to put uh, two actors uh, just playing so well off one another to this point in the series together again to put them on a level playing field. They're both cornered by Diamondback, who thinks he's cornered himself to share the murder weapon. Shades is always surprising you in terms of uh, what he does. Well, and what he has in his magic bag next, I think it's it's like Mary Poppins' magic bag. You just reach in, you could take out a, a hat rack next. Um, it's all Disney, Pete. Uh, he has the files that pertain to Luke Cage's old life, files that can clear his name. And uh, Mariah concludes the scene hoping that Cage and Diamondback kill each other. Speaking of people killing each other, Pete, back at Diamondback's warehouse, Luke arrives and sees the assorted dead. Plus, uh, the not quite dead. Pete, is that is that Domingo who's maybe he'll be okay? It is, and we're instantly trying to figure out, okay, what did Diamondback do? Did he set off some kind of biological weapon that's caused these men to to bleed the way they they are? What what are these wounds exactly? Uh, and to finally find Domingo amongst the hammer uh, industry labeled boxes and give the necessary exposition to Luke that this was Diamondback, that, uh, you know, he expected Luke to show up at some point, of course, not in time to, to save everybody here. And, uh, you know, oh, go look in the next room. Which he does. He sees the aforementioned crate, a timer attached to a mess of charges with a minute to go, Pete. Cut to Luke, spiriting Domingo out of the building. Building explodes. What did Diamondback use to do that? And now, Pete, this is where I think the story is a little unclear. And I don't know if it's on purpose or not. What did Diamondback use to do that? I was confused. What, the explosion? Um, I think we are meant to either figure out or retroactively figure out that Domingo was beaten to death by the... The, the super glove, but I'm not quite clear on any of it. And that's where I think, you know, it, it's, it's a failing in terms of communicating that he opened up this box and yes, you maintain the mystery, at least for now, of what's in the box. And then there was the explosion. So what led to their death? Well, we're not quite sure. And then, you know, in just a wonderful, wonderful uh, cinematic way, Dead Domingo turns into his photo in the police station. And that's when we learned that Domingo was beaten to death and hard. It's got to be Cage, right? Elephant Says. punches, Matt. So, I mean, again, it's implied that this was uh, super glove, trademark, restricted. Uh, but it's not quite clear. Also, Misty is not wearing her um, her brace anymore, her sling these are finely polished uh, crime scene photographs, Matt, not, you know, iPad stills. So there's been some passage of time, right? Um, well, if we know anything from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, severe brain injuries last about eight episodes. So the fact that she... The fact that she was a little banged up but didn't even need to go to the hospital, 
she's probably good you know, like four hours later or whatever she got shot in, and and an artery ripped open in the arm man yeah. um but luke calls and asks if they found domingo so this is like right after yeah i think we have a little narrative and then things happened um if nothing else i'd say if there is blame to be laid the costume department and the continuity person should have made sure she was still wearing the sling because there's no action in the scene that that would preclude her from wearing it you know um you want to you want to get to a point later where like if she's going to be in pops later unexplained reason you know there's no explanation why she's taken the the brace off well we can figure it out ourselves there's bad guys doing things and she's pulling her gun and dealing with the pain as is that i would buy here yeah it should be on her but pete just shows that perfect is nobody uh with that misty gets as you mentioned pete that call to meet luke cage they do nice kind of she's on the street and he's behind the uh you know the the grate covering a window um they share exposition they trade story barbs to make sure they're on the same page luke says that he must find diamond back so this can end pete kind of like the season yeah uh luke says that she should press turk for more information he's in that dumpster near mount olivet cut to near mount olivet where mariah and shades are talking in the car about blowback from diamondback if this should all come to pass and uh turns out that shades was at the club that night to kill diamondback and mariah admits that cornell saw things in her she avoided her whole life and now she's becoming that mwahaha villain so she's embracing it here and there's a convergence of character and story uh i think it's fitting matt under the crucifix of uh or i should i should say cross there's there's no jesus on the uh the white cross there of uh mount olivet with that is she ready she stays ready baby uh, and out of the car they go to show that, uh, wait, but Pete, no, that's Bobby Fish playing chess. Is Bobby Fish going to die like in the next two seconds? Please say no. He's not. Whew, I was worried. I truly was worried there, uh, particularly since the actor, you know, is on uh, a network drama now and whatnot. I was like, no, don't kill him off. Anyhow, Luke shows up quickly too. Oh, and Pete, Luke's sporting a black hoodie with a yellow hood lining. That makes me think of like the Luke Cage outfit. It does indeed. There's some serious callbacks, calls ahead, Matt, being made in this scene. Well, I, I would only know about the callbacks and not the calls ahead. Here we are with one episode to go. I mean, I know we're discussing this one, but I have I have one unwatched episode, and all I know, Pete, is that some of the people from this show survive so they can be in the Defenders. Other than that, it's a mystery. But no mystery here at Pops, where Luke is ready to stomp. Mariah and Shades are here for a parlay. She's offering a truce, and they will help him get Diamond back. They're going to give him his freedom with the documents, so Carl Lucas will be free. Mariah is also going to put the, mur- the murder of Cornell on Diamond back. Pete, happy ending? Uh, when Misty Knight comes out, uh, really kind of escalates the situation. Um... Will they work this out, she asks. Is Luke working with them? 
And Pete, you know what brings people together better than just about anything else? What's that? A grenade. <laughs> a grenade quiets them. They all run for cover because somebody yells, grenade. And Pete, then there's Diamondback and his Jean-Paul Gautier crap looking like a pimp stormtrooper. Yeah, and there's an effect when shot there. The, the bullets kind of ripple off. Yeah, it's, 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 it is a subtle effect. I'm glad that they don't take the story time, particularly at this point in, in the episode, to do, you know, slow motion bullet hits, zoom in, mimic shot from the earlier episode where guy punches Luke Cage. Like, just have, have the bullet be nothing because that's what it is to him. Bobby offers a moment of levity. I just picked, uh, fixed up this place. Can't you fight outside? He's told no. And then, Pete, what happens? They run towards one another. Pete, now we're going to talk about some bad... Mm. Shut your mouth. Let's talk about bad guys, Petey. Let's start with where the episode ends. Fight Diamondback. Yes, in the comic style suit there, Matt. Uh, we'll see more of it, of course, because we haven't seen the fight here but not only a call ahead but a call back to the comics yeah it had a really great look to it even without knowing the comics uh influence on it It just kind of had this look that is so diamondback it's stylish but military has that little extra flair pete next on the list our man turk barrett that you get turk barrett you get Rob Morgan in any of these series is one thing that he's been involved with every defender to this point, Matt, I'm just salivating for his appearance in iron fist. He has to be right. And then in defenders. Absolutely. Next Pete, R I P Z I P audio zip. Romeo would have been so disappointed. He was a fun character because Amidst all the other larger story elements that have gone on in this episode and in the season thus far, his character came across as somebody who was eager to step up, but not always, not always able to step up. So he, he left this world as he lived it. Stepping off, Matt, would be Hernan Shades Alvarez. Yeah, he continues to be like that, uh, that bad penny that turns up. And uh, also somebody who's using his intuition, his intelligence to uh, to go from, you know, 30 seconds away from death's doorstep to now aligned not just with Mariah Dillard, but also uh, also Luke Cage. If you if you believe the hype, Pete, somebody who is a little less uh, thoughtful in the, the moves he made on this uh, chessboard here is Domingo. Yeah, and uh, no longer in the game as a result of it. Uh, but we we saw some likable things out of uh, his character. Um, you know, he, he provided Misty with the direction to go to, to find Diamondback for the first time. Um, here, even with Luke Cage providing him... Uh, you know, with the, the knowledge the building was about to explode. So there, there was a redeeming aspect to him. If he was uh, only the second worst uh, kingpin crime lord in this part of New York City. <laughs> well, I think vying 
for first or perhaps uh, perhaps avoiding first is uh, Mariah, who we see at the end of the episode really uh, embracing embracing the, the the dark side here. Yeah, in her image, Matt, because in her image and things in her image. And I mean, the fact that people have figured out that that is something she really responds to, I think it speaks to you know, to a certain fatal flaw with the character that there is there's a degree of ego here and not that not that anyone has their fate written for them and certainly you know she in the environment she grew up in i'm not suggesting that of course she was going to end up back in the world of crime but she's somebody who has spent so much time and so much effort to be the opposite of her origin that it's not much of a surprise that she's now looping back around to it again. It's the use of Alfre Woodard um, and the, the key component of the hubris of this character that makes her jump off the page from a, from a two dimensional comic standpoint to a fully fleshed out motivational uh, villain Pete, last on the list. I don't know if you wanna if you wanna hit him as a pair, hit him sing, uh, singly. There's Bryce and Michael from the Bodega. Yeah, these guys they need work. Uh, last but least, Matt, they need work. The the one using the name of the other, the other unable to uh, not accidentally shoot people. Um, accidentally on purpose right right the uh the the former of course in the midst of a holdup having the chutzpah uh to to uh bring a multicultural shine to this matt to uh to praise the person he's uh holding up in method man pete i have to disagree slightly you get a chance to meet meth you gotta say hello also want to say hello to our listeners on Patreon. Thank you so much. Those who have visited patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Uh, we, we appreciate that we're, uh, we're getting help in that arena. We have the best listeners, most supportive uh, patrons, and we attempt, Matt, to just give them a little something for the generosity they afford us, uh, be it a secret podcast episode or another perk that you know about going in, there's something for everybody. The big picture, where we break down theories about the road ahead. Pete, we don't have much road ahead, but uh, what do you have in the old theory department? Well, once Diamondback broke down Pops here, poor Pops has, has taken a beating. Uh, the, the second episode and the second to last episode, the place has just been uh, shelled. And um, when the explosion came through, a phone, somebody's phone was knocked loose that uh, very conspicuously um, was grabbed by Shades. So... What do you think's going on there? Well, I mean, that's that's a bit of story that clearly must be intentional, say, as opposed to, uh, you know, oh, man, he, he knocked over the chair as he was uh, running away from the bad guy. You know, that could just be an acting choice. That could be something that's done spontaneously. So, I mean, Pete, at the risk of sounding uh, rather dull with my answer, it sounds like that's a phone that's going to get used early on in, in the next episode. 
And then we have this suit that uh, Diamondback is wearing, which, again, we've referenced the the helmet doesn't come so much from the comics, but kind of completes the look. We mentioned it's it's kind of military um, in in nature. Uh, it kind of looks because of the neck like that of a of a snake, particularly a, a cobra, even with the little visor there. But the way that the bullets just kind of uh, bounce off, Matt, might it be impervious to other forms of abuse? Well, I mean, if not, then it'll be a short. Uh, it'll be a short fight. Uh, so uh, I, I'm expecting a big, a big brawling, sprawling uh, action set piece uh, when we uh, when we dive into that next episode. So uh, yeah, hopefully it is pretty impervious because you know it's the old Superman needs kryptonite story wise in order to make things uh, you know to make things have peril and have jeopardy in the story. So I think we have some good stuff ahead. Word on the street where we hear from you, the listener, Pete. Where are we going today? Matt, we're going to iTunes where you, listener, yes, you, you can have your say about this podcast, which we will read on the air. So do you like us? Do you not like us? Let us know. Get over there to iTunes. Help us uh, reach a larger audience. And uh, we'll thank you for it. Pete, here we are with one episode to go, and then uh, following that, we, of course, will have the the season one wrap-up before uh, this particular podcast feed uh, goes uh, goes into, into freeze mode until there's more Luke Cage news or Defenders news. Uh, so certainly get those, uh, get those thoughts in about the season as a whole. Pete, I know we've been sitting on an email, or I've been sitting on an email that you saw that I have yet to see. Uh, from uh, our pal Donna, who has some thoughts about the uh, the, the the end of the season, and uh, look forward to hearing from her. And indeed, listeners, we're about to tell you how you can be in touch. Tell us your thoughts on the season as a whole. And Pete, let's start with you on the Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Peter P I E T E R J K L A R K E T E L A A R eight thousand five hundred fifty two followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime in a whole host of ways. You can go to fantasticgeek.com. That's fantastic with a PH. Send an email to fantasticgeek at gmail.com. You can uh, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram as well under Fantastic Geek. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek. All one word with the PH. Couple likes away from a milestone. Could you be that person? Pete, we will be back on Monday to wrap up the last episode of this uh, of this wonderful season of Luke Cage. Until then, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. I don't go past, I go through.